Hey there, it's Nick. I just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode deals with some adult themes, so please use your discretion before listening. It's just, I loved it. It was like fighting death. I knew that that somebody could kill me. And it was like, I'm challenging it. They try to kill me and let's see what's up. Like, hell yeah, I mean, it's, it's a better rush than fighting. Especially when you get on them mean ass bulls. Mean, mean. Like, demon mean. It's in a little square pen that's probably, I'd say, maybe three and a half foot by 10 foot. Climb down there in that little old pen and get on top of him and you put your hand through a little handle in your rope. You pretty much are tying yourself to this darn bull. They put a, a rope, it's what they called a flank. They put it around between his balls and his dangling. Whenever you pull it tight, it's squeezing between his balls and his dangling. It'd be what our tank would be. That's what they squeeze the shit out of it. And that's why he's kicking up. He's trying to get that thing off his old dangling. You're on top of him, so he's thinking that you're the one messing with his old dangling. So he's trying to hook you, and you ain't got but a second or two because you don't want to sit there long because the bull's going to get antsy. So you slide up there, get bent down like that, and then you shake your head. As soon as you nod your head, they open up that chute gate. And then it shows on. He's shake, rattle, and roll. From Luminary Media, you're listening to Love and Radio. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, Mean Mean, featuring Jerry Nations. This is my Samsonite briefcase I acquired close to 20 years ago. Kept it because it's tough, and it's, I knew that I'd want to keep all my notes and stuff from when I was, you know, doing research. And all right, uh, this here's the uh, adoption records. It's crap, what do you reckon? A couple hundred pages full of adoption records. The social worker will come do reports on us. You know, tell about how we're progressing or me acting up, me being violent towards other kids in the homes and stuff like that. It's going through all them foster homes shit and them kids making fun of you for being adopted and shit like that. And you don't feel up to standard, especially when all your adopted brothers and sisters introduce you. Oh, this is my adopted brother. Why can't I just be your brother? Why do you got to let them know that I'm not yours? You know what I'm saying? Why can't I just be your brother? And that eat at me. 
my adopted dad. He was 45 years old whenever he adopted us. So that says a lot about the man. Because when I was 45, you couldn't have paid me to adopt another kid. They were very spiritual. They made sure we sat down and ate as a family. We prayed as a family. Before we went to school, we had Bible study as a family. And you know, when a beer commercial would come on, we'd have to get up and turn the TV down because my dad did not want that beer advertisement aired in his house. Which is commendable. When the man's got his beliefs and he stuck by him, didn't budge. That's how strict he was. Very strict. I mean, first time I got my butt whooped, it just devastated me. Good old fashioned Baptist whooping. But he loved us. One night we was riding and I got slammed and I got my private stepped on. My left nut swelled up so big I had to walk on crutches. It looked like a, a purple orange. I come in the house and I'm having to limp. I had my cowboy hat over my britches because mother was up. And I come walking through there and they said, what's wrong? Nothing. I go back here. I lay down on the bed and I'm, I'm like praying for death because it hurts so bad because my old nad was already starting to swell. And then come back here. I'm sorry for being vulgar from a lady, but it's, I'm giving you the truth. They come back here and said, boys, wrong with us, daddy. You got me in the nuts. And he just laughed and turned around and walked out. <laughs> Hell no, he didn't help me. He's, that's pretty much it. It's what you want is what you got. And he thought I'd quit, but two weeks later, I was on another. You know, I could die doing this, but hey, it's a cool way to die. Remember when we had that uh, state representative, Jerry Johnson? Our church went to Six Flags one time. Hell, I had been probably middle school then. But we was going to uh, Dallas up at Six Flags, and I seen a couple of them billboards. Elect Jerry Johnson, state representative and stuff. I was like, wow, you know, that used to be my name because, hell, I was Jerry Lee Johnson Jr., so I knew their name. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, man, that would be cool. You know, if he was my biological dad, because, hey, you know, might get paid or something. What's up? You know, you always, if you're looking for somebody, you want to be rich. Yeah. <laughs> you damn sure don't want to be murderers and stuff like that, you know? We grew up out there in a little community called Grand Bluff, way out in the sticks. You know, country folk living, and ain't a whole lot to do in this town. You either going to have sex or fight. If you go to the bar, you're looking for somebody to go lay with, or you look for somebody beat up. Well, come 12 o'clock, if you ain't got your one cornered up, time to go hit the parking lot for somebody to just box a little bit. I don't jack with folks my size, because them little ones will jack you up. Catch you, big old boy. You know, he quick to jump on somebody little, but then you just wear his ass out. That's kind of a thrill. I think I've got, what? There's 17 arrests, 30-something charges, or 25, something like this. It's crazy. My last girlfriend, she's never been arrested. I don't comprehend that. 
how can you go through your whole life and be 50 years old and never be arrested? Do you think it's like, oh, you haven't experienced life if you haven't been arrested? You ain't had fun. <laughs> when you have lots of fun, that's when you go to jail. The first really bad charge I got was dating this girl, Candy. She got pregnant, and I thought it was mine, so I married her, and I found out where she'd been seeing this other guy, Jimmy, while she was seeing me. So I spazzed out over that shit, got up the next morning, smoked me a big old fat joint, and started drinking whiskey. Did me a few shots of whiskey, started drinking beer, Well, we went over there to her house, going to get my clothes. Well, Candy and her brother Jason and her brother Cody was there. They was kind of scared of me because I was wound up and hollering and raising hell. They wouldn't let me in the house. Well, they called the law. The law sends one dude up there. He come up, he grabs me by the arm, and he said, look here, son, you need to leave. And I pushed his arm on, I said, look here, motherfucker, you better let me alone. Turned around and started hollering there, hey, bitch, get my freaking clothes and yada, yada. He grabbed me again and said, son, you need to leave, you need to come on. I turned back around again, I floored him. I ear-checked him, and he kind of stumbled back a little bit. Well, when he did, I just started peppering his ass. I, I beat him up. I seen the rest of the cops coming, so I hit the woods. I get out there in the woods, and I'm watching them all show up over at Candy's house. Well, they got my my buddy Mike was there watching. They got him down. So me being the good friend I was, I come out the woods. Well, I jump on this other cop and start whooping on him, trying to get him off my buddy. And that's when the rest of them like, got a hold of me and they beat the shit out of me. They tore me up pretty good. That was my first serious charge, aggravated assault on peace officer times two. Five years probation, 40 hours community service. And from then on, it just, mainly assaults what I got in trouble for, because it was, it's like to fight. One day, Glenn, my biological brother, come to me and said, hey, what do you think about finding our parents and stuff? I said, all right, I guess so, whatever you want. We went and applied for the state, you know, through the adoption records. Get the records, and it's about, this right here, about an inch and a half of papers and stuff, and I start reading through it. So what did you expect when you were, like, before you actually got the records. I didn't expect it to be that bad. Horrible stuff. They're murderers. Serial killers. Carl was my stepdad. He was a mean one. Sherman is my biological grandfather. Ginger, my biological mom, which would be Carl's wife at the time. Then you had Carolyn, which was Sherman's wife. My uncle Danny, you know, he killed that couple there in Dallas. Then you had Tammy, my biological aunt, 
Robert Michael Glenn, my biological brother, says, what, six kids and then four adults, 10 folks. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Like a band of gypsies going around, just going from place to place to place to place to place. Ginger would go out and write hot checks and get us a whole bunch of cool stuff. And Carl and Sherman, they would go like to a place, go in there and have coffee or whatever. And if it was like a little young girl, whenever they got through having their coffee, they'd go around back and drag her out and carry her off and rape her and beat her, kill her, dump her. And then they'd come home, we'd leave. Washington, Florida, Florida Texas. Texas. Wonder what in Utah, Utah. Wyoming, Wyoming, Colorado. They done it all over. They're evil people, real evil. They're like mean, 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 mean. Like demon, mean. One thing that I sort of wanted to show you is that I got some of the police files. Would you read it sort of out loud All to right. us? All right. Ginger Taylor was interviewed at the district attorney's office on November 13th, 1972. That was four days before Glenn's birthday. And related the following story. After leaving Salt Lake City... In August 1971, they stopped before dark, and all but the children went inside. After a short time, Carl instructed Ginger to move the car to the back door with the waitress, Leona Looney. Sherman got behind the wheel, and Carl and the waitress got in the back seat. Carl almost immediately began forcibly removing the waitress's clothing and then raped her in the back seat. The waitress then began screaming. Carl attempted to silence her by slapping her. When that failed, Carl said, if I can't shut you up one way, I'll do it another. Carl then strangled her with a piece of rope or a string from her apron. Sherman continued driving until they found a dirt road leading into a pasture. Carl and Sherman then dragged the waitress from the back seat Ginger then heard several shots, and Carl and Sherman returned to the car. They then returned to Cheyenne, and Carl later told Ginger that if she ever told anyone about the murder, that she would also be killed. Right, once I got the adoption records, everything just boom, 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 fell into place. I was back here in the bedroom in our trailer house we had rented. Was reading to him, and I'm down there at the end of the bed, like on my knees, holding the bed like this, trying to breathe and just trying to fathom what in the fuck I just read. About um, three or four pages into it, I went there and started throwing up because it fucked me that hard. Sorry about the f bomb, but then is that's the only word strong enough to have jack with my head. I get these pictures back. And everything's like color too, has color to the pictures. Like I can picture Carl that time whenever he started 
beating on me. You know, I woke up on the bathroom floor. I can remember ducking my head down. I can see his feet, see the veins in his feet, seeing the toenail that was on his right foot. I had like a little black dot where he dropped something on it. Me and Glenn digging in the backyard, playing in the dirt. And we're sitting there farting around, just digging, and then you see something here looks fleshy. If you dig around it some more and you feel it. And just, it's not cold. I mean, I guess it's ground temperature. And I start seeing like pieces of a finger and stuff while I'm digging, digging, there's a hand there. So I freak out, run up there and tell uh, Ginger and Carl, and Carl freaks out and just like, What are you doing out there, mister? Us being in a car, but I remember them making me and Glenn you know, get out, don't you look back here and shit like that, and we're in the front seat. And the noises we heard. Stirs up some wild shit you heard. What's going through your mind right now? Why the fuck would they have us around that shit? When they caught us, the police caught Ginger and me and Mike and Glenn. We're in the car with her and we're going to do something. And then all of a sudden, Ginger just stops the car. She says, oh, get down, get down, get down. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. Get down, get down, get down. Glenn got down in the floorboard and I'm on top of Glenn for some reason, thinking they're going to kill him too or whatever. Then they come up, run over, you just hear them hollering and screaming and shit, and they fucking open the door and they drag her the fuck out. And didn't see her again until I was 29 years old. And didn't see her for 25 years. Yep. What happened to everybody? Well, they all went to prison. I think Liz and uh, Ginger both got around five years, if I remember correctly. And then they got out. Was it Sherman wound up hanging himself in prison? <clears throat> Trying to get my mind back focused. The other one got me thrown off here for yeah. a second, but it'll be all right. You want to take a second? Yeah, no, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Uh, Danny, my uncle Danny, he, he did time, but he got out for a little while well, he messed, he messed with a little girl or something like that. Went right back in. I'm thinking he's dead now. Uh, Carl's still alive. Is he in prison? Yeah, in Canyon City. Canyon City, that, like, supermax prison. Yeah, I guess it'd be. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, he's still alive. It's hard to really comprehend that kind of crime, but what's really kind of hard to comprehend is that's your people. These people are blood kin. This is what this family does. You know, that's where you came from. I wanted to meet them. 
because you know you know what your mom and dad look like. I didn't. I wanted to know. It took me a couple days before I call her. Pretty sure I'd been drinking that night too, and I called her. So I told her, I said, uh, is this ginger? She said, yes, it is. I said, on July 22nd of 1967, do you have a little boy named Jerry? She said, yes, I did. I said, well, you're talking to him. Yeah, it was odd. She didn't talk with no Texas accent. She talked kind of fast. And you can tell she ain't been around here in a while. I guess she was overwhelmed because you could hear the rattling in her voice. I remember telling her about Glenn being good, doing good, and all this stuff. I told her, I said, hey, I'd like to meet you. And, and well, we set up a date. Glenn was in South Carolina, so I got Glenn a plane ticket. I flew him to Florida with me, and then we both got on a plane together and flew to Dallas to meet Ginger. Now we're in the airport. Me and Glenn was walking down yonder ways, and her and uh, Tammy come walking by. Tammy was my biological aunt. I want to say she was like 13 when we all got separated. Tammy and uh, Ginger walked by and I told Glenn, that's your mama right there, boy. I just knew her. And they walked right by. She didn't know us from shit from China. Didn't know us from nothing. We walked behind him and I went, Ginger! And she turned around and just uh, started bawling and ran over and hugged on me and stuff. Hugged on Glenn and Whew, fucking me up. I ain't gonna lie to you. Now this picture is showing me hooked up onto her. She's got her arm around me. You can see I'm wanting to be happy, but I still ain't trusting this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Where it's crazy, you can see the family resemblance. Nose, ears, the way our faces are shaped. Chins, or I got the cleft chin. Do I look like my mama? Do I look like my daddy? Well, I look like my mama. And I actually got a baby picture from her. I've got it there in the house. I am knee high to a short duck. I'm wearing a little old cowboy hat. I've got some little old cowboy black britches on. I thought that was weird. You know, me being dressed up in the cowboy outfit because I've pretty much been living a cowboy life. You know, my whole life. Me, Tammy, and Carlene, we hit it off. But Ginger was reserved. And when I tried talking something, she started crying. And I told her, I said, one thing that sticks out in my head is we was in that uh, a motel. I didn't know where it was, but I remember having them orange curtains. 
and orange bed spray, and you could put money in it and the bed would vibrate. That was where we were staying at during the Leona Looney abduction, murder, all that crap. It was a little girl they pulled out of the little donut shop. Whenever I started describing that, that's whenever she realized that hey, he remembers more than probably what he should. And she started crying. She said, oh my God, how do you remember that? Why do you think that made her cry though? What was she crying about? Just a little bit of guilt, a little bit of remorse. She kind of had a, a knowing of what she put her kids through. I mean, you can be an evil person, but you still got to have some little bit of heart for your kid, I would think. Maybe that pushed her away from me. You're finally getting to talk to the one that you belong to. She created you, but yet she didn't give a fuck about you enough to keep you safe. When you're a kid, when you're a kid like it, you're vulnerable. That's your mom and daddy's job to protect you. That motherfucker couldn't do that shit. <laughs> Just, I still felt kind of unwanted. Just weren't no connection there. None. No bonding moment or nothing like that. Mm. Just didn't happen. Maybe talked to her a couple times since then, and that was it. I quit having anything to do with her. Just, just close that chapter. I'd say that was a turning point. Going from being, you know, we fought some here and there, but from that to all the time, constantly biting people, doing mean shit, or just the alcohol, the drugs, the biting, and it was just, it's like it unleashed something like I was trying to beat that pain out of me. When I find out things, you know, different things, and have the memories start popping back up, that's when you've got to use the harder drugs to get rid of those memories. My left, I don't know what vein that would be right there in your elbow. I take that soon as pop. That put me about 50 units of good old methamphetamines in you, and you have to there for a minute and get your shit together. But I'm dead. That's why that shit's so addicting. That one little shot will take all that away. All that pain. All that shit, shit in your head. It's easy to do your big old shot and you're done with it for a day, two days. And once I started making it, it was like I had an unlimited supply and it was always good though. How do you cook? First of all, you go get you a bunch of them ephedrine pills. You get you a coffee grinder and you grind them up into a powder. You make you some anhydrous ammonia. You take fertilizer, two tablespoons of red devil lye, and then you pour just a 
drop of water in there and it starts a chemical reaction with gas blowing out where you have your hose and you stick your hose inside a coke bottle and your coke bottle is submerged in dry ice and acetone it turns it into a liquid okay then when you get you enough liquid out of that bottle okay you take the liquid and you pour it over okay or you first you gotta take two batteries to uh, lithium batteries and peel them and get the lithium strips drop them on your powder then you take your anhydrous and you pour it over the powder and the batteries and it starts and you pour it through coffee filters takes all the most of the impurities out of it makes it fall down into a powder form I'd done some stupid shit up to them, but not like cooking meth stupid. Huh? That feels like stupider. Well, at the time it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> at the time it was very fulfilling. Because I ain't gonna lie to you, the rush off of it's better than any sex you'll ever have. But it's a false satisfaction. You're tricking yourself into being satisfied. That's fighting demons with a demon. That methamphetamine has a demon. <laughs> Takes your soul. But it worked. When I was cooking dope, I knew I was going to prison. But I just figured it would be state prison. Because, you know, state, you get 20 years, you might do two or three on it and be on parole. But I never dreamed that it would be federal. Or that I'd have to do like 90% of my time. Got sentenced to 69 months. Once I got to prison, and actually had to be mean. I mean, when you're sitting there stomping on a guy's head, you feel evil. I've been in fights before where pretty much mutilated a person. I get like mad, mad. I can be, it's scary. I can be cold, cold, cold. And I carried it to extreme. I tried biting a guy's ear off one time. Wound up spitting out the whole top part of his ear, but the cartilage stayed on. Because I wanted him to look in the mirror every day and see that ear gone and think of me. You know, it makes me look back then and think, wow. You know, I want to blame it on the alcohol. I want to blame it on the drugs. But I don't know, shit like that, I think's in the core. I mean, we used to fight chickens all the time. When it was legal, you had a bloodline. You got the mean ones, and you bred them, and you got mean chickens out of them. It's in their gene. That's what they're bred for. They've been fighting for hundreds of years like that. You know, humans are the same. And I'm, I've always been wound up. I've always been a fighter. It's in their gene. I go to thinking, well, shit, I got the evil gene. They had to pass something off to me, and... It wasn't good. I have been trying to find tape of some of the interviews that your family did as part of the law enforcement investigation. And about a week ago, I was able to find one. I would love to play it for you and see what you think of it. All right. Um, all right. Uh, all right. Now, Carl, that's two, uh, two killings of young women that you've admitted being a party to. Uh, 
got that old greasy ass hair. And you know, of course, that you and Sherman. Old 1970s sideburns and shit. Clean shaven. I guess you've been mentioned in connection with a dozen killings all across the United States. In one town, I heard 22. 22. Yeah. But he's got these penetrating eyes. You can, you can damn near look in his eyes and look straight in the pits of hell. There's only seven that I know of personally. Seven. But you can tell the coldness we're casually talking about killing these folks. I shot, I remember I shot initially the first time and I think I shot it once more. I haven't heard his voice in 40 years. More than 40 years. But she whirled around at me, you know what she said? It's crazy. Uh, look, you don't have to do this, you know. That hick accent. I'm looking at Sherman. Well, you never forget that. And about that time, he. He brought the gun up, but when he did, when I brought mine up, we both shot just about the same time. I know, as sad as I sound like the motherfucker, because I got the old country accent shit. It fucking pisses me off. Was this girl uh, raped? Well, I wouldn't call it rape. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it rape at all. Uh, you had sexual relations with Yeah. Both of you? Yeah. But it, it, there was no rape. I don't sound like him. I don't look like him. I don't have that look like him. I don't do shit about him. In fact, I want to be fat again because the silver bitch is skinny. For one reason, uh, my pistol was laying down in the seat right between me and her. Now, she could have got a hold of that gun anytime she wanted to. Unfortunately for her, she didn't. Yeah. Was. Mm -hmm. uh, All right, Carl. <laughs> What about Cynthia Glass? She was a girl who was killed in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, this was sometime this was, uh, later. Oh, be nothing like him whatsoever. Boy, I tell you, I'd, I'd hear check that son of a bitch in a half a second. Whew. I guarantee you I'd win this time. Promise you that. Promise you that. And I just picture myself fucking connecting him right inside of his... I don't give a shit if I broke my hand again or not. Oh, just feeling it. <clears throat> and then be talking shit while I'm stomping him. Do you think you'd ever just stop fighting altogether? Oh my God, I wish I could. That last time I broke my hands, it sucked. I'm getting too old for this shit. And I know that's sad. I'm 51 years old and still doing that shit. But I don't want people to think they just run over me or talk out the side of their neck to me any way they want to. You know, I give respect. I want it back. But not near as bad as what I used to be. Thank God for golf. Yeah. Before, before we um, pack up, could you just like, introduce what, just where we are? In a We're at Carthage Country Club in Carthage, Texas, out on 79. In my little safe haven. This is my little safe world where I come to enjoy myself. Live a good life. 
It's very like uh, sort of peaceful. Very. Here's the birds. I have been working for the Cartridge Country Club for next month will be a year and a half. On Saturday and Sunday morning when I come out here early. I do a lot of mowing, a lot of keeping the place looking nice. I love my job. I play golf all the freaking time. You know, it's bare minimum, I play golf three times a week. The only sport that I've ever been this wrapped up in is bull riding. And it is very different from bull riding. <laughs> totally opposite. <laughs> you ever heard anybody get killed from playing golf? All right, now, if I, uh, so out. yeah. I can be your caddy. If I make this, I will be on a par three. I've made it two shots, so there'll be a birdie. Now I'm nervous. I don't mess this up. I've never birdied this hole before. Booyah! Hell yeah. <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. And I got witnesses. I just birdied number two. Hell yeah. Now I kind of like, won't go play 18 holes, but I'm going to quit while we're here. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm tickled shitless. Hip, hoop. I'm there. I'm, yeah. See, that's one good shot like it. Shit, I'm good the rest of the day. No rush or nothing, but it's like a feeling of uh, gratification like I have. I'm getting to where I want to be. That's it for Love and Radio. This episode was produced by Ryan Katz and Julie DeWitt, with sound design by Stephen Jackson and Phil Domofsky. It featured several tracks from Javelin's EP, Canyon Candy, as well as songs from Stephen Jackson, Phil Domofsky, Corey Fuller, Shugai Ken, Biosphere, Pauline Anna Strom, Mark Bereka, Kishosis, Syrinx, and Greg Fox. You can see a playlist of all the music for all our shows up on our website, loveandradio.org. Love and Radio is produced by Stephen Jackson and Julia DeWitt. Our managing producer is Phil Domahovsky. We are a production of Luminary Media. I'm Nick Vanderkoll. Thanks for listening. <laughs>